Welcome back to another episode of Entrepreneurs The Playbook. As always, I'm your host, David Meltzer. Today I sat down with CEO and co-founder of RSE Ventures, Matt Higgins. Matt touched on the principles he looks for when investing in entrepreneurs. First, being raised by wolves, quote-unquote, and how that influenced his choice to drop out of high school. How traumatic experiences can teach people to handle anything. And what he learned from a walk with Warren Buffett. Find out about all of that and more only on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneurs The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host and CEO of Sports One Marketing, David Meltzer. This is Dave Meltzer, CEO of Sports One Marketing, here with Entrepreneur The Playbook and in the special environment with a special guest, the CEO and co-founder of RSE Ventures. That's right. Which probably means a whole bunch. So Matt, I'm going to let you kind of give a little bit of background on what you do, and then we'll get into the really good stuff. Okay. Well, I mean, um, just 10,000 feet, we build businesses. And nice. uh, yeah, I look for magical people who are at an inflection point and following their dream, and then we back them. And when we go all in, we go all in. So uh, my claim to fame as I'm a derivative celebrity is, uh, is being Gary Vaynerchuk's first client when I worked at the New York Jets. Uh, met him at a bagel store in uh, Springfield, New Jersey. I was trying to sell him a suite for the New York Jets. <laughs> and uh, about 10 minutes into the conversation, I said, you know what? I think this guy's going to be huge and has got a really compelling vision. And we cut a deal for four Jets tickets for uh, Gary to represent and develop uh, the New York Jets social media strategy. Oh my gosh, yeah. you couldn't pick a better guy. Yeah, yeah, I did all right. So I think so. One of my claim to fame is I have a pretty good eye, and uh, I backed Gary from the beginning. And when I partnered with Steve Ross, uh, went back and we did a deal to become partners in VaynerMedia. Um, so Steve and I are partners in RSE, yeah. and uh, we we built this company together. And now you mentioned that you pick the right people. People ask me all the time, what's more important? The leader or the product or service? Yeah, I, it's such a cliche, right? Yeah. But there's a reason. But it's a crucial question. But it's crucial. And, and there's a reason there's the phrase ideas are cheap, right? Ideas really are cheap. For me, it's all about the execution and the jockey. And I found the biggest mistakes I've made is when I get enamored with an idea. And I think that the strength of the idea is going to overcome a shortcoming with a, an entrepreneur or a team. And I always live to regret it. So we spend a lot of energy and time trying to figure out the nature of the person, whether or not we're going to work well together, um, whether they have what it takes to go the distance. So the, the, the best decisions I've made are just to back people and don't worry about some of the rough edges around the idea that winners will iterate through any kind of problem. Yeah, there's an evolution involved. Yeah. You know, I joke around, but people come to my company, <clears throat> want to be sports agents, marketers, PR, media, whatever, and they'll say, well, you know, what are you going to teach me? And I said, really four things, gratitude, empathy, which is forgiveness, accountability, and effective communication. And if I find a leader that have those four things, I know they're going to be successful. Then there's one other thing, and I want to ask you about this. Yep. One of I, I do a lot of these, and I find the thread, the common emotional thread of all the great leaders I talk to, like yourself, they have, and I want your reaction to it, a consistent, everyday, persistent, without quit, enjoyment 
of the pursuit of their potential, whatever that is. Father, you know, it, it's almost like a spirit of excellence. Mm. How does that resonate? With I you? love that. I, I always, I always say, people ask, how do you approach life? Like, what's your one central theme? And every day when I wake up, I ask myself, what's the highest and best use of my time today? And if you're always pursuing excellence and challenging yourself, that the answer to that question will change every single day. So. No question, I think that's the common thread. And what I look for um, in the best entrepreneurs is a combination of confidence and humility. Number one, you need um, humility to recognize when it's time to pivot, because every, every great leader has had to pivot along the way. And you need a degree of confidence to go through that transition, because you're gonna have naysayers, you know, are gonna take shots at you because you needed to pivot, and it's gonna be difficult to break through. You're gonna have investors that are disappointed. So it's hard to find people with a strong blend of confidence and humility in the same person. And then empathy. People don't follow uh, people for very long if you're not empathetic, right? They, they, can, they can feel whether you care about them. So, but I'd say, you know, number one for me is that kind of comp com that combination of confidence and humility. And there is a duality in that. One of the most difficult things, I was blessed to be successful at a really young age like you. And I, still I, feel I had very one successful. thing going for me, not two. I was yeah. confident, Yeah. right? I was super confident. In fact, it led to serious ego issues for me. And I had to literally put on my nightstand two words. And everyone thinks it would be thank you because I'm a huge gratitude person. Mm -hmm. But it's not because I, it's part of me. I've always been a gracious person. I do for others. I'm of service. But what really I had to learn the hard way, two words, radical humility. Mm. You know, it's, it's amazing to illuminate and to tell people, you know, hey, I surrender. And I really do. I allow things to happen in my life now. And I used to tell everyone as I drove idiotic cars and huge homes, you know, I made this happen. Anyone ask me now, you know, I allowed it to happen. Where do you fall in that spectrum of making things happen or allowing them to happen? Hmm. And it's, it's another duality because people don't realize it takes a lot of work to allow things to happen. I, I wake up at four in the morning, meditate for 20. You know, that's where my day starts. I pass out at night, but I allow things to happen. Uh, um, I love the spirituality of that question. I'll give you the honest answer. I'll give you the 20-something the me. Yeah. You know, Giuliani's press secretary when I was 26, and you know, I sort of thought I was all that. I, I looked at people around me as tools for me to effectuate my will, right? You think you have the answers to the test. And I, 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 life kind of brings you to your knees. I had a number of personal challenges that, that humble you, whether it was cancer, going through divorce. A lot of things happen when you start realizing that you'll be a lot more effective if you channel the greatness of other people. I'd say most of my success, success has been about submitting to the greatness of others. Yeah. And, um, and that's not to mean I'm you know, some you know, Jesuit. Like I, <laughs> I, I like to make money and I, I, you know, I, I like to believe in myself too. But when you look at backing somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk or Jesse Darris or partnering with Steve Ross and, and seeking out people who have something to teach me, like that was an important transition in my life. If I didn't make that transition, I would have tried to be a rock star, you know, as opposed to be a CEO or a leader. So I like to think on that continuum, I now fall in the right place, but I, I didn't I didn't start out there. And do you been very successful? Do you still have mentors today? I have I really love when I can discover somebody that I think is better than me in any possible way. So the, it may not, the word might not be mentor, it's just people I submit to or people that I marvel at. Like I, I, that's the best part of my day. Even sitting with you before talking about meditation, I, <laughs> yeah. I feel inadequate and insecure about the fact that I'm a you know, pseudo Buddhist and I'm aspiring to meditate every day. I love when I find somebody. Steve Ross takes me to school every couple of days. 
Yeah. Right? He'll say something and I'll just take a step back like, oh, why did I miss that? And then I'm like, oh, I'm so excited I missed that because I have something to learn. Yeah. And this morning I had breakfast with Gary Vaynerchuk and he's just giving me these little nuggets of wisdom. And, and uh, I like that. Now I spend a lot of my time seeking out somebody to, to humble me just so I recognize that I have something to learn. Um, and those little moments, that to me is uh, divine. And where else do you seek that type of knowledge? I always tell people, you know, you have three mentors or people that sit in the situation you want to be in. I love those people. I, I had this one individual, you would love him, billionaire. Okay. Steve Wynn's best friend. Hmm. And he's from Lebanon. And I have probably stolen half of his, you know, complete inventory of wisdom. And I always felt guilty because, you know, he's 70 now and not on social media. And I feel bad every time I say something like, you know, be more interested than interesting. Or, you know, what, he's just, you know, trust the universe, but tie up your camels. Right. You know, all these. <laughs> I, well, I, I, don't know, like, I got me confused with that one. Though. I'm like, why did I spend 100 grand on graduate school when I could sit in this guy's office? I love that. And so I started seeking out the right people and the right ideas. I have somebody like that in my life. Um, the, the area where I seek it out the most, I like to say I was raised by wolves. I grew up, you know, dirt poor, yeah. kid in Queens. I feel that. And a uh, completely dysfunctional childhood. You know, mother was in a wheelchair. Um, just, just complete dysfunction, all the issues that go with it. And I find myself trying to put together a group of people who could be spiritual advisors. You know, what, like, what's my core? What's my foundation? What do I believe in? So actually, Curtis Martin... Um, I always joke he's my personal Jesus. He's somebody <laughs> He's somebody I consult with constantly. He's probably one of my closest friends. So I find myself gravitating to people that have that serenity and calmness and yeah, have, have, have a concrete way of going about their lives and have those deeply held beliefs. I, I gravitate to that. Um, on the mentor side, I'm lucky. I got them everywhere. I mean, I have Dave Chang can teach me about excellence. Yeah. Like, you know, the endless pursuit of excellence in the you know, restaurant setting is incredible to watch. And Christina Tosi teaches me about magic and, and delight, right? And Steve Ross teaches me about backing entrepreneurs. So I feel like I'm surrounded by it. I just don't call them mentors per se. I just, right. uh, I just you know, worship at their altar in some small way. Well, it's interesting because you came from a similar background. I had six kids and a single mom. Your, your mom was ill and, and she mm -hmm. died when you were young. Yep. I think you actually dropped out of school. I did. I, uh, I, uh, this has become a central theme of my life. But when I, when I grew up um, um, really poor and really desperate, and we didn't really have anybody to rely on. I learned at an early age that things don't always end well and you have to make a plan for yourself. So early on, I had this epiphany. I watched my mother, who was a high school dropout, um, get her GED. And she went and ultimately got uh, two master's degrees. And when I was in seventh grade, we were really struggling, no money, going to food pantries and whatnot. And I said, if I actually dropped out on purpose, could get a GED, I can get to college early. I can get a job early, and I can get the hell out of this situation. So starting in ninth grade, I just got left back, you know, three years in a row. And then the day I had to make the choice was one of those hard days. You know, you have a plan on paper, and it yeah. sounds great. I remember having to return my textbooks and the indignity of walking into class, each class returning your textbooks. And my science teacher at the time, he, he said in front of the whole class, like, Higgins, like, what a waste. And uh, I'll see you at McDonald's. And I remember saying to him, uh, if you see me at McDonald's, it's because I own it. And, nice. then I, and I walked out. Now, that was the brass shot. I sat on the steps, Cried. smoked a cigarette, and said, <laughs> and said, I think I might have just blown this. Um, I took my GED. I got into college. It was the best decision I ever made. So I had the whole world telling me, you're throwing your life away. And I knew, based on my unique circumstances, this was the right choice for me. So I always go back to that moment on the steps of high school saying that 
faced with the desperate circumstances, you have to listen to your own vision as to what it takes to get out of this situation. And, and I've drawn inspiration from that you know, ever since. But fortunately, my whole uh, childhood was about trying to get uh, accumulate as much money as possible to get out of that situation. Not that and yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, so think about this juxtaposition. I'm living this life of shame. I'm sleeping on a mattress on a floor. Yeah. My mother's getting progressively ill. And I become the mayor's press secretary at 26. And the night before I went to work, she was saying, like, I don't feel good. Don't go in. This has been one of the worst days of my life and the best day. Don't go to work. I was like, I have to start. I'm press secretary of the mayor of New York. And then uh, she died that morning at 10 o'clock. So, so for me, uh, I just always look back to the juxtaposition of, you know, every, the best things happening and the worst things happening. And I'm still not entirely sure what lesson I take from that. But I draw a lot of my inspiration and life lessons from that, that period of my life. And you have that as a consistent energy in your life. Mm-hmm. Right, you had cancer. Yep. And but yet, at that time, even in your life, you were hugely successful, and mm. things were going extremely well. And I even heard you only took one day off of work. Yeah, which I look back as at the time it was like hubris and dramatic, <laughs> and look how tough I am. And I was in a macho environment of a sports team, right? Yeah. So you get a lot of points when you come in with a big gash on your side, and you're still going to work. <laughs> now I look back like you're an idiot. <laughs> like, like, like to me, it shows just an un, an imbalanced person, right? At, yeah. the, at the end of the day, like you have to allow yourself time to heal. One of the big lessons I've taken away from me growing up was I spent years living a life of shame and living in secret. No one knew just how poor we were. No one knew how desperate I was. I used to spend many nights a month at the ER because we had no health insurance. So I would take my mother to the emergency room while sitting there reading law school books, sitting on the, on the uh, outside the ER. Wow. So I just kept all this bottled up inside and likewise with cancer. So I've tried to create an environment here where you know, there is no shame, right? That if you're struggling with something personally, that you can bring those issues out in the open. And I feel really passionate about that. I think you get more out of people when they feel comfortable to bring their struggles forward and you give them the support they need. So that chapter like, has now informed my culture and informs how I approach the world. And mostly it's informed my life view, which is the highest and best use of my time in a day, if, if possible, is to ameliorate suffering in some small way. Um, that's what motivates me, what drives me. That is awesome. Yeah. And my prayer in the morning is, may God put 10 people in front of me, I can help. Just real I love simple. That. I know it just from there. And that was stolen from the billionaire, yeah. too, but I had to use it. <laughs> you look so peaceful. How do I? Is it the meditation? It's the meditation. I want, yeah. to, I want to analyze your amygdala. I, studied, I, I, I think your amygdala has shrunk in the last. Well, I, I, you know, talk about being an entrepreneur. You may not know this, but you know, I, I live the same way. I just needed to be rich. The only yeah. time I grew up happy, but I was embarrassed. I lied to people about what I had, the circumstances, and see here I get choked up because yeah. it was so hard. But, you know, and then I made a tremendous amount of money. You know, I owned a golf course, I owned a ski mountain. I, you know, and this is after I, you know, ran Samsung's first phone division and, you know, got into technology and, you know, all this stuff. Well, I lost everything yeah. in my 30s. And I will tell you, as far as shame went, I didn't know how I could face my wife, let alone my mom. because. Mm. For me, all I want to do is make enough to buy my mom a house, a car, and pay off my law loans. That's, I, I literally prayed to God. I remember I was looking for a job. I said, if you just give me a job, I'll shovel shit with my hands hmm. for six days a week, 12 hours a day, if you just let me buy a house for my mom, hmm. buy a car, and do that. And then all of a sudden, I'm filled with everything I could ever want to hmm. buy. And I screwed it up because of not having radical humor. I was confident. Hmm. I made some crucial errors. I had no mentors. I never talked to one person that owned a golf course and you know the economy was sliding. I didn't know how to finance things correctly, and it left me. What was the moment that enabled you to get it all back? My wife kicked my ass. She said, 
go back and take stock. So my wife's known me since the ninth grade, and since I was nine years old. Hated me, uh, but she literally, I mean, she's the world to me, and she just said, look, this is before I went bankrupt. Mm. She said, you need, you're not paying attention. You're not the same person, and, and I wasn't. I was surrounding myself with the wrong people, I wasn't with the Gary V's and you know all our very great Mike Tannenbaums and all these great people anymore. I was with guys who were retired and going to the wrong places all day long. But your sensitivity that didn't that didn't come no. overnight. So you was always, always I was sensitive, always empathi- right. empathetic, gracious. I, I gave a lot of money away. I even when I was losing money, I was consistently. I, I my what I've learned about my energy, and this is what one of the things I like after this to talk about is I'd love to shift your energy about this idea of, of suffering. Yeah. Right? It's an energy that you carry because you had it. Well, for me, my energy was worth. Mm. I was always competing that I wasn't worthy. So when I made $10 million in a year and my mom sacrificed everything for 17,000 to be mm. a teacher, how could I, like, I, it, it was almost shameful. Like, get it away from me. I just bought more things or gave it <laughs> to other people, right? Because then it was worth something. But what I was making, it was like some joke to me, like, how, how does this happen? Tell me how suffering plays that same role in your life, because it is, you, you, you have these highs and lows, and I think you keep manifesting. Well, I get, I, for me, I've almost, I get excited. I look, at, I look at what I can do in my life, right? And I remember, if somebody had just come along when I was that kid sitting on that curb outside the ER, and figured out a way to help me get out of this desperate situation and give my mother the support and care she needed, the radical influence it would have had on her life and my life and so many other people is just so dramatic. And then I compare that with anything else I could do with my life over time and it doesn't even compare. So I just, I almost get excited about it. Like, I feel like it's given me the answers to the test. Good. That what I was able to witness uh, so young told me that there, it's inarguable that the highest and best use of your time and your passion and energy, if you have it, is to ameliorate suffering. First, you need to accumulate the money, obviously, right, to make an impact. but I just go back to when I was a 16-year-old kid, 17-year-old kid, and watching my, my mom, who you know, was working hard, and she had all the right intentions, right? She just struggled with her weight and her health, that when I remember what would have happened if somebody stepped in, I can never forget that, right? Yeah. So, so in, I went for a, a great walk, one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. I got to go for a walk with Warren Buffett. And I was asking him, I understand why you're getting people who are billionaires to give their money away with the giving pledge. But I was like, what about a living pledge? What about getting people who are going to be wealthy but maybe won't be billionaires to agree to give 10% of their income away along the journey? And he said, you know, that it's a great point because I was criticized along the way for waiting until I was older, but I thought compounded interest, you know, would be on my side, and I'd have, I'd have, and I'd have more to give away. But there's a logic. <laughs> and he was right. No, there's I a get logic, that. and I struggle with that too. You know, yeah. at what point is enough that you then you could put a lot of your time and energy? So, how does it inform me? I feel like I witnessed something that was really crucial. That was the almost the answer, right? That if that out of all the things I'm going to do in my life, the best things I'm ever going to do, and the most impactful are to somehow ameliorate suffering along the way, because I witnessed what it would have done if somebody had done the same thing. And then I, I think you probably you sound like because you're, you're, you're a sweetheart that you, <laughs> that it really it, um, it really amplifies your empathy when oh, you yeah. go through that right that like you spend a lot of time trying to calibrate like you connect deeply with people yeah. and I feel like I feel it when I come across it but I mostly get excited now about that I look at my future and say if I can be really successful here imagine what the impact I can make elsewhere and oh. I'm on the board of Autism Speaks and a lot of times I have the feeling like I'm just not doing enough. 
Like, that stresses me out. Like, I feel oh. like <laughs> I'm apologizing constantly. Right. Apologizing at Autism Speaks, apologizing everywhere that I wish I could do more and, you know, and, and I will do more, but that mostly excites me. It is difficult as we're younger in, in the realm of wealth where you have this balance. You have your own children, you have your community, you have, we're both chairman of charities and involved yeah. in other charities, but it's difficult balancing because people will, they, they like to count your money. Yeah. And there's always other causes. And it's nice being in the sports business because we can give collectibles which have perceived values. Yeah. So, you know, thank goodness and thank God for Warren Moon because I literally can satisfy people by taking a picture and having them sign it. <laughs> I think it's about intention at the end of the day. Like, uh -huh. I've declared my intention to myself, which is the... For the only the most thing that matters, and I know my intention is to ultimately be to judge not by how much money I made, but how much I gave away. Yeah. So I have a plan. To your point, it's hard to calibrate when you're taking care of your family and you're trying to accumulate some of that wealth. Yeah. You're also entitled to joy, right? So yeah. we don't have to be completely sacrificial. So mostly, I think you just have to be at peace. I, I apologize, but I also am not insecure about it. Like I, I know I'm doing the best I can, and I know where I'll end up, right? And I think that's what matters more than anything. So let's uh, finish up to talk about hope. Mm -hmm. You know, here we grew up with nothing and we have these children. And my fear that I fight is that how do I give my children the one thing I can't buy? Hmm. And, and that's that drive, right? We did it out of desperation. But when they have everything, you know, how do you empower your children? I love that question. I, I think about that a lot, too, because you don't want to be alienated from your own children. Right? Right. You, you grew up with nothing, you were struggling, and, and your children have everything. I've, I found that my children came out great, and I don't think I had anything to do with it, they, uh, except for the simple fact that I don't derive my self-worth from material items. I don't define my success on what I have relative to anybody else. I don't think it means anything. So, Have you always felt that way? I have always felt that way. So yeah, that's I've, where I, yeah. I needed you as a mentor. Yeah, I, I've never. <laughs> I always say myself a hundred million dollars in real, real estate. We could I, shared it. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've always, I've always been a little bit belligerent about it. Honestly, like yeah. I tell the story about dropping out. I, I feel like it's a form of exceptionalism. Right. The fact that I had testicular cancer, you know, I think is, I, I've never been, I've never been ashamed of that. Yeah. I, I feel like my shame has been more about covering up the struggles mm -hmm. unnecessarily. And then I think in the early days, if you're not charitable with yourself and your own struggles, you're not charitable with others. And I realized the relationship between accommodating my own needs and accommodating you know, other people. But so my, 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 my little boy, Matthew, is, inspires me every day. His value system is, is unbelievable. Like, I, like, where'd you get that from? And my little girl is magic. So fortunately, I don't have that problem. I'd like to take credit for it, but I actually don't think I had anything to do with it, That's except for the fact I'm not reinforcing any negativity. You know? But I think that the best way to raise your kids is to ensure that you don't define yourself by material items. They can pick I that can. up. And when you, when you care about what other people think, relative to the Joneses, your kids can sniff that out, right? They, yeah. They're little truth detectors. And it may not show up until they're older, but it, you know, it's going to show up. Yeah, I love that. And, and it, I, also, I also just believe in like letting my, I don't want to, I hope that my issues aren't playing out with my kids. So I don't aspire for them to be anything in particular, right? Which I think is also important. Yeah, I'm not a school snob either. And no. you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I tell people all the time they want parent advice because I'm blessed as well with these four beautiful yeah. children that I'm so proud of them. They're just cool. But they, I always tell people they come through me, not for me. Yeah, that's, that's the right I, way to look at it. I think parents make the mistake of, you know, these kids are for me. And you know, I, and it, you know, your kids start getting to the college age, mm. and you see these parents, and you know, through sports and all this other stuff, you, it drives me nuts. I struggle with that a little bit. In that, I I love being with my kids so much, especially when we take you know one-on-one -on -one trips with them. That 
you know, where's the line between you derive so much joy that you want to smother them. Yeah, and yeah. I am a little bit of a helicopter parent yeah. versus what you just said, right? Like they're, they're not here to serve you. Yeah. They're not here to make you happy, right? The fact that them making you happy should be incidental, but it's not their purpose. And yeah. so where's the line between being, you know, a helicopter parent versus uh, giving them the room they need to flourish? I, I, one of my biggest achievements, and I love the fact that you know, I have an eight-year-old son who you met, yep. but I, I, love, I travel a lot, but I love it that he really doesn't miss me. Mm. Like I, I, it's different. I'm, I fly around. By the way, that's very, it's very enlightened it, that you say that. It was hard for me. Yeah, because I'm not always like that. Yeah. I, sometimes you know you want to check I in, like I, I no, but I sometimes so I want to hear it too. I, I'm just I'm human. I know. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> and I travel I, a lot too. When I'm, I tend to travel and fly back within 48 hours from ungodly distances mm -hmm. because I, I want that regularity. I, I want, you want to strengthen that relationship. Yeah. But also, out of anything I can do in a given day, it brings me the most joy. So I want to, I want to check You're in. part of that, yeah. yeah. Have I'm you gotten him to start meditating yet? You know, I'm working, he's manifesting. Really? So, yeah. All right, I like that. He's so, manifesting. I'm a big you know, manifester and he- uh, How do you he, articulate manifesting to an eight-year-old? Attracting what you want a mm -hmm. lot. Like literally, you focus in on it and then do the work it'll come faster, hmm. right? I have this relativity of time and time. We, we'll have to discuss on another one, but time, I, and we can lead to the last question. I believe that there are no problems in, in the universe. That literally, there's the truth. And if you think you have problems or right. these issues, it's a misuse of time. Oh, I, it's I, just a misuse of time. That's all it is. So I totally agree. And I, I, I and I know it's cliche, like I, n I never waste a crisis, you know, or a problem. <laughs> nice. The good part I'm is I'm stealing that, that from you well, now, buddy. No, well, I and I stole that from crisis. somebody else. I think yeah. I stole from Rahm Emanuel. Okay. But regardless, <laughs> yeah. the, the truth of the matter is what's great about going through trauma, and this is the, the upside of any kind of trauma in someone's life. Once you go through it and you come out the other side successfully, you recognize that you can mostly handle everything. And there truly is a silver lining. I mean, every, oh. opposite, every action has an equal and opposite reaction is true. The downside, when really good things happen to me, I, I look over my shoulder and I'm waiting I know it's coming. See, that's your energy. Yeah. That's what, your energy, what, paranoid? Right? What would be yeah, no, that, that whole like idea, like I can't have all of it. Like I'm a plateau and grow guy. Yeah. And you plateau and you're looking behind you like, oh shit, what's going to happen? I do, I do. I guess yeah. I, I, I guess I'm I spend all that. Are you going to shift it for me? Yeah. So, what is, I'll teach you how to so shift what's a breakthrough going to look like? Uh, a, a breakthrough is going to be that you're going to have this peace, joy, and happiness with where you're at, detaching from different outcomes by enjoying the process more mm -hmm. so that the relativity of good and bad changes. And so that you're just, everything's a high for you. All right, and I that's like your that. higher self. I'll, I'll take that. I'll trade and, it in. Are we going to meditate on this episode? Yeah, yeah. We, let's finish up. Okay. <laughs> As you tell me real quick, the last question. Yeah. You're such an extraordinary person. I just feel like I did with Gary, right? Okay. I got another best friend in New York. Someone to go and talk right. to. So thank you. Oh, I would love that. Thank that, you. That, but uh, I want to know what legacy you want to leave. Ah, oh, that's great. Well, I know what I want my epitaph to say. Yeah. You know, herein lies an awesome dad who did the best he could. And I, I really feel that way. Now, that's I, better than Howard Stern's, which yeah. reads, hung like Einstein, smart as a horse. Now, that was my second choice. If the inscription was not available. And then um, I'll go back to what I said before. I really am excited by what I can do, hopefully, when my mind and money and energy is devoted towards ameliorating suffering. And I want my legacy to be that I took that little lesson of watching my parent die, which was heartbreaking and crushing, right? Um, and any money I accumulate, 
and I want to be defined by how much I give away. And lots of people give it away. And so it's, I'm, not I like looking, I'm not looking for hero status. Yeah. I just know that it's amazing. I do these scholarships um, for single mothers, right? And they're not a huge amount of money. Like work done. But, 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 but it gets me so excited because yeah. then I get these letters and I think about that person with you know, a 10-year-old child. Like I know the impacts. So now you get me emotional. So that's the, uh, that's the legacy I want to get. And I feel a pressure to be successful so I can achieve that vision. And I think, I think it's going to work out. But back to your point about the, the negative energy looking over my shoulder, like I'm not going to take that for granted. Yeah. yeah. But you can work yeah. on that. I will. Gonna, I'll shift your we'll energy. I love it. The, the epitome <laughs> of, of my tagline, of which is trademark, by the way. Okay, please. Make a lot of money so you can help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. I love it. And I think you epitomize that, Matt. And I really have enjoyed this conversation with Me Matt too. Higgins, the CEO and co-founder of RC Ventures. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneur, The Playbook. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Tuesday for the latest episode of The Playbook.